The Ziggler Show comes from the legacy of Zig Ziggler and brings together personal and professional growth, business success, and faith. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this episode, questioning the norm and freely trying like a kid. The show this show is convicting for me. I'll tell you that. When did I leave childlike qualities of questioning the so-called norm and just trying things without worrying what anyone thought? And how have I shortchanged myself in the process is the question, the quandary. In studying the most successful people of our time, John O'Leary cites five key childlike traits that those successful people embody, traits most of us have left behind. Uh, John O'Leary is one of the world's premier inspirational people. Why? Well, his story is just ridiculous and his perspective is flat out infectious. You got to take the time just to hear him get going from his heart. Uh, if you don't know him at nine years old, John basically blew himself up. He got third degree burns over 87% of his body. Nobody really should survive that. Well, John did. And today he's actually grateful for it. Literally. This is the second time I've had John on the show. We cover a good bit of ground talking about his business amidst the COVID pandemic, his faith and the message of his new book in awe, where he gives an incredible look at childlike qualities. The most successful people have retained and the freedom and success we can find if we will embrace those. Note, it's not childishness, and he makes that differentiation. It's wise and mature and aware and childlike. Big difference, and I now strongly believe one that we need to all understand and consider. That's what this show is about. You can find John's new book, In Awe, Rediscover your childlike wonder to unleash inspiration, meaning, and joy. You can find it wherever you buy books and visit John's website at johnolearyinspires.com for all he has to offer you. I'm going to bring John and this mega inspiring message to you right after sharing what else we have for you and some great products and services. Uh, well, John, man, it, it, just as we were talking about, you were sharing just some of what you have done business-wise. I mean, we're going to, we're here, you know, I want to hit this new book because I'm excited about it in awe and the message you have in there. Uh, but real quick, we have so many people in business. We have so many people who are coaches, consultants, and speakers. And as you said, you speaking is a main part of your income. You said 80 days a year, 80 nights a year, you're gone speaking. Is that the right number? That is right. That is right. And we've been doing this for about 15 years. And so share COVID hits and what happens to your revenue? Yeah. So March 2nd was my last travel day of the year. So I've been at home now for almost 200 days. Talk about that, what, what it looks like as a family, what it looks like as a business. But we had expectations of revenue for the year going forward from that date. And once those dates were removed from our calendar, we lost 94% of revenue from our speaking business. Wow. And our speaking business is the lifeline of our entire organization. We have team members, we have mortgages, we have insurance, we have healthcare. We got all this stuff that we take care of for our team. And it all rests solely on speaking publicly in, in mass. So uh, that was a profound change for us. Yeah. So you, as, as we keep using that word and Pete Vargas has been so big with that, uh, pivot. So you said it did though, allow you, if not force you to go after some different things that now you're grateful for 
that you wouldn't have done otherwise. So how have you morphed your business to meet the reality that we're in? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm really glad we're starting here because it may not have come up even at, if we did not begin here. Yeah. But I want to make it sure that folks, as they hear the story, recognize that it, it wasn't fun or easy. It was forced in some regards. It was painful in some regards. And it is a blessing in all regards. But it, it took a little while of, uh, of movement to get there. And there was a day late in March this year where I'm working at the office by myself. The, the country is shut down. This company that I work in and lead in is completely shut down. My father's got Parkinson's disease. He's high at risk. We know this thing's going to get bad. We just don't know how bad it's going to get. And then I walk into the office that day and we have ants everywhere. None of my teammates are here. I got to figure out how to get rid of it. All the revenue's gone. And I'm just having a pity party. And if you are a human being, you've been there with me. Yeah. You know, maybe worse or better than I, but you, you've been there with me. And I'm having this pity party. And then it gets worse when I look down the hallway and this, this plant that I love, I've had it for four years now. I've been loving this thing. I look at it closely and it's, it's dying. So like <laughs> it represents perfectly my business, our financial structure, what I think is happening with my father, like all these things, man, the world, society, it's all kind of graying out, browning and dying. And I looked at this plan for a little bit, Kevin, and then I said to myself, not today, not under my watch. And so I get up from the, the seat where I'm currently seated with you. I grab a watering can, go to the restroom, fill this thing up, come back outside. I put a little bit of love on top of this, this plant commit to doing it day after day after day. And I think that represents what we've been doing now for the entire business over the last five months that have followed. That plant, if I turn the camera to the right, is thriving. It is no longer browning. It's no longer slowly graying out toward its final death line. Uh, -uh. It is doing better than ever. And so I told my team after that, hey guys, I need you to know I was having a pity party today, but I'm done with it. And I, I, need, I need you to be done with it too. We need, we need to roll up our sleeves. We need to collaborate. We need to get creative. Pete Vargas, we need to pivot forward, man. We need to figure out a new way to get the work done that we used to take for granted, but we're not gonna take it for granted anymore. And we're gonna do better things going forward because of this difficult time. That's and awesome. so it was a, a wake up call for me. And as an organization, we've made a full tilt into virtual seminars. Mm -hmm. We've done a whole lot more around our podcast. We released and, and rolled out an entire coaching program. We're doing it at an individual and as a collective uh, organizational level. And we've replaced more than 60% of the revenue that we, wow. uh, we had planned for the year. So for us to pivot that quickly from 6% revenue for the year now into about 62%. And we're just starting to roll up, man. We're ready to rock and roll as we move into 2020. And that's probably revenue that if speaking all of a sudden, you know, knocked off and you're back on it, that's stuff that's going to stay and continue. And you're going to be above normal if we're, you know, recovered a year from now. With every bit of confidence, we, we say yes to that. And not only that, but it's it's residual. Yeah. So we're, we're rolling now into coaching, which is always what I wanted to do. But why would you do that when you're busy? I was really busy. We, we were on big stages all around the country and all around the world. So there was really no time yeah. to invest what needed to be done to serve our clients at a high level. We were busy. Yeah. And then we slowed down in a profound way which allowed us the access to get creative, to collaborate, to start taking action on what we always imagined. We just weren't doing it. And now we are, and, and just Kevin, we're, we're hearing things about people who are deciding, you know, they, they were gonna leave their marriage and now they're not. They were going to, one person wrote in and said they were thinking about taking their own life. And now they're fully committed, not only to not dying, but in choosing to really live going forward. So when I talk about coaching, we're not just talking about helping people make more money. I think that's great. That's part of what we do. 
like Zig himself, man, we, we want people to live and live well and expand in all aspects of their life. That's our goal. Yeah. Well, I am a grateful recipient of what you're doing. I, I got to tell you, I'm looking at Facebook. Mikkel O'Leary sounds like a relative of yours. She's like, I, hear jo- I got to hear John speak in Hutchinson, Kansas last year. Definitely worth listening to. Thank you for that. Uh, Mikhail, for sure. Well, man, it's just, I, I'm, I, I like people to hear that even you at the success level you are, you weren't unscathed by this. You had to work. It wasn't easy. Here you are uh, making it happen. It's just a testimony for, for what we all have to deal with. None of us are, none of us are immune. You know, as we talk about, you were here with me four years ago, talking about the book and the message on fire and the core of your story in those four years up until now, you've got a new book out. Where would you say, and obviously what you just talked about, you know, is, a, is, is the last few months or longer than a few months evolution, but overall, just in your own journey, in your, uh, in your calling, in your vocation, in the work you're doing, what has been some of the biggest evolutions in what you are now doing in your business, offering people, feeling led to bequeath to them. Uh, give us, give me some highlights. So in order to give the highlights of today, you got to go all the way back to the lowlights of yesterday. And it's a, it's a journey we've all been on the ups and flows of life for the listeners who've never heard me speak before, have never met me, never read me or anything else. You're in the majority. So I, I'm, I'm humbled by it and grateful you're part of this conversation. But at age nine, I was burned on my entire body and I lost my fingers and I, I lost my physical beauty for, for a season. And I lost my sense of self and I have scars from my neck to my toes. So my desire at age nine was not to be a speaker, not to be a podcaster, not to be a best-selling author. My desire was to be ordinary. Hmm. All I wanted for my entire life was to fit in. Like it's kind of a weird desire, but if, if you're so set apart, and every room that you're either pushed into in the early days of my recovery or eventually kind of stumble into as I began to be able to walk myself forward into life, if people stare at you at first, your desire then is not that they stare longer, it's that they eventually won't stare at all. That, that was my goal in life. And so that's what I try to live into uh, throughout high school and college and I started a business, grew this thing, climbing the success ladder. But I think ultimately I was, I was growing the business to prove to others that I was normal. You know, I I wanted them to see me as a success, not as a victim, but that's sometimes the wrong reason to be pursuing what we're doing next in our, in our journey. And then at age 27, my mom and dad wrote a little book about my experience of being burned and they printed 100 copies, Kevin, like, you know, what can go wrong? Just a hundred copies. Well, it went on to sell 200 and then 500 and then thousands and then you know, more, almost 100,000 copies. And one of the copies was sold to a little Girl Scout in St. Louis County. And so she called me one day when I was at my other my, my real job 15 years ago and said, Mr. O'Leary. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I think you're trying to get my dad. You know, I'm, I'm 27 or so. And she, she's like, no, I think I want you. Would you speak to my troop? So I, uh, you know, I'd never spoken before, man. I didn't have a clue how to put a couple sentences together or how to structure a talk. But in life, my mom and dad had always taught me that the, the response is yes. Whatever life sends your way, man, yes, go. Like, go, just go with this thing. So I said, sure, I'll do that. Yes, ma'am. Uh, so we set up a date. She gave me 10 minutes of, of runway to speak. So my first speech was in St. Louis County in front of three Girl Scouts. And uh, I was so nervous ahead of time. This is a true story that I got sick in the parking lot before I walked in. 
I was so nervous as I was in front of them that I'd never looked up for my cue cards to actually stare to the little hearts of these three little girls. But one of the dads in the room was Rotarian and he was moved. And so he said, John, would you, would you speak to my club? Yes. So I said, yes. And then one of the guys in that group was a, was a Qantas member, a Kwani, I think they call it. So I said yes to him. And, and then that first year, three talks, and then eight talks the following, then 15, and then we're off to the races in a mighty way. I've spoken now 2000 times, 49 States, a couple dozen countries, a couple million people slowly getting a little bit better at this craft, just slowly getting a little bit better. So the evolution has gone from not feeling like a speaker at all to thinking that you are only a speaker. Hmm. But then you recognize, gosh, what if you really want to touch their lives on a deeper level? How, how do you extend the message? And so I wrote a book called On Fire to extend this message outward. Then we started a podcast to extend this message outward. Then we started coaching to extend this message outward. So we realized now that we're not speakers. We're not victims to fire. We're not, we're not all these things that we thought we were, these, these job titles. Uh, and we're change agents. So how, how do you change as many lives for good as possible? And this is a question you and I talked through over four years ago when, when we first sat down together. But the question I ask and our organization asks every single day of our lives is what more can we do? What more can we do to not just do what we do at a high level, which is one way to continue going forward in your business, but to touch more lives and to realize you can be so much more than you currently are. What yeah. more can we do to impact those in front of us? And so what has changed since I wrote on fire is we've started a podcast. It's a top 10 occasionally on iTunes. It's called Live Inspired with John O'Leary. We rolled out another book. It's called In Awe. I have a feeling we might talk a little bit about that we today. We might. We might. We, we've <clears throat> gotten intentionally generous in the community. We started serving on a lot more boards and trying to draw our online community to not only better themselves for themselves, but to better themselves to impact those around them. Yeah. We have started talking a whole lot more about the radical middle. There's a lot on the left. There's a lot on the right. And don't worry, I, I won't offend all your listeners today. Uh, I, I'm trying to draw people into a conversation here. I, I want to hear from you and you and then figure out a solution together. It's very common to point the finger at the other side and say they're wrong. But if we're always pointing the finger, we're ultimately not making something better ourselves. Yeah. And so we, we've just completely evolved as an organization from being a guy who's got a story to tell you about himself into a brand that reminds you in spite of mistakes in your life that your best days are in front of you, but you can't do that by yourself. Yeah. Collectively through interdependence. Hey, we I, can I do want to get into this message in your book and there's something you said that, that uh, I want to draw into it, but because you said that word of blame, uh, I am, I am, um, admittedly a little hamstrung on that because we are in a time right now uh, where it seems to be at all time high. Maybe it's not, but it seems to be at least during my, my, my time uh, uh, on here on earth. And I told you, as we were chatting before this thing, Sam Collier, I had on the show recently, and he talked about the double pandemic. You know, we got COVID happening. We got racial tensions happening. And now I feel like as of this recording, August 19th, 2020, we have a third and it's politics. It's what's happening in the, in the White House and in the government. And it has us enraptured. And I've never seen blame higher. And so just to throw those at you, not to have you comment uh, on all of them, but is there a certain issue as you're looking at the culture and I know you care about it. This is your audience. You're looking at people, you're looking at what they're responding to, what they're being inundated with. What do you find is most on your heart, John? 
So most of my heart is to love people and to love them to such a degree that eventually they will look in the mirror and love themselves. I think that's one of the greatest challenges we have as a society on both sides of the aisle, on every side of the protests and riots right now is many of us in this marketplace don't love ourselves. We, we don't see the dignity and the divinity within our lives. We're bored by it, actually. And if you don't recognize the beauty, and I mean like profound beauty of your life, how could you possibly see it in your neighbors? How could you possibly see it in your neighbors? And how could you possibly see it in someone who looks or worships or works or earns differently than you do? And so, man, I, one of the things, and we, we do all this somewhat quietly, but I'm trying to hold up a mirror to people so they can recognize the miracle that is alive and well within their, within their very lives. As part of In Awe, we unpack the math behind the idea of you being alive. And if you just look at what your mother brings to the table and what your father brings to the table. And if you want, Kev, we can have an after hours conversation about the birds and the bees and really unpack this in greater detail. <laughs> but just at a high level, if you take what your mother has and your father has and, then, and you just do the math on this, the likelihood of you being alive, just alive, is less than one in 400 trillion. Wow. So the very fact, one in 400 trillion, that you are on this podcast, that you are listening on your iPhone or your, your whatever other device you might be tuning in with right now, and we're bored by what's in front of us, or we're mad about something that's happened behind us, like if we could start seeing the profound gift of our life for what it is, it's a shocking blessing, shocking. And you're here. You are here. I would suggest to you at the freest, greatest time in the history of the world, even now, even in the midst of where we currently are, it's better than it looks. The, the line, if you could draw a line between the peaks and the valleys of society going forward into time, this is a quote from FDR. He, he shares this in his fourth inaugural address, while a war is raging in Europe and the Pacific. He says, if you could draw a line between the peaks and the valleys over the course of centuries, you would find that this line always trends upward always trends upward. I believe we are so stuck on what was, what is not perfect today that we forget the trend line. We forget that it is not perfect. It is not. It needs redemption. It needs a whole lot of people to roll up their sleeves, come together as one family, make it better together. But we also forget many of the, the, the progression that we've made to get to this point. And the truth, if we keep following this line, the best days for us collectively are in front of us. So those are a couple of things that I would remind all of us uh, that it's not easy. It's not perfect. It's not right yet, but it's better than it's been. It's getting better. It's time to come together as a family and then roll up our sleeves and, and uh, make tomorrow better than yesterday. You are listening to The Ziggler Show in this episode with John O'Leary. That segment from him right there, it was, that was pure gold, folks. It's worth rewinding and listening to again, even if you don't hear the rest of the show, though the rest is awesome. Next, I take us into John's new book, In Awe, Rediscover Your Childlike Wonder to Unleash Inspiration, Meaning, and Joy. And I read an incredibly convicting, just short paragraph right out of the book that you're going to be convicted by, I really believe. Uh, we'll jump right back in after I share some great products and services with you. Okay, well, that's I couldn't be a better segue into some pieces of, of your book that I want to hit on. Uh, John, is this even out yet as we're talking yeah, right now? Yeah, it came out in May. It came out in May. Okay, came out in May. Um, so we're still relatively new. And so, folks, if you haven't seen it, so here's the just listen to the title of the book. I mean, actually, listen to the title of the book In Awe Rediscover Your Childlike Wonder. To unleash inspiration, meaning, and joy, and right in. So, matter of fact, John, 
bear with me as I read the author his own words, okay? Uh, But folks, this is literally inside the front cover. This is the first paragraph. This is John writing. There once was a time when we joyfully raised our hands to answer questions, connected easily with others, believed that anything was possible, and fearlessly jumped into new experiences. A time when we viewed each day not as something to endure, but as marvelous as a marvelous gift to explore and savor when we dance through our lives in awe of the ordinary moments and eager for the promise of tomorrow. John, some of our listeners who listen to a lot of Zig will recall a story. It wasn't one of his primary ones. It's probably kind of one of the background ones where he talked about being on a plane and he says he was way in the back and it was a big plane. I don't know which, you know, seven, whatever, seven, big plane, <laughs> long, long, long uh, uh, corridor there up to the pilot's uh, cockpit, which was actually open. You could see it. And little girl is next to him or close to him. And she gets out and looks down the hallway and she looks up and he says, she just went, gosh, and he'd say that in Zig Southern draw, gosh, and it just hit him. When was the last time he went, gosh, about anything? And you mentioned the term boredom a minute ago. And when you did, I almost, again, again, I'm biased as I've been enmeshed in your book, but it's got me thinking, what right do I have to be bored? I have the most awe-inspiring opportunities in front of me and, and abilities. What right do I have to be bored? And yet... And you brought me to this as I was reading through the book that here we are and we are so appetite driven, looking for the next dopamine hit. We're so, it's almost like a, we're, we're all drugged. And you know what you got to do when you're taking drugs a lot? You got to up them and up them and up them to feel the next high. And there we are. And yet my kids, I was telling a buddy today, we were sitting out in the deck having, having lunch at the office here. And I said, my three little kids, they're 12, 10 and eight. And uh, yeah, spending time at home. And so often they just take off into the woods. And I'll ask them later, what were you guys doing? Well, we were playing our make-believe survival game. Okay. And happier than my teens who are more prone to be on their devices and whatnot. Yes. And there we've got, I mean, that's what you outline in the book is how we had that, how we've lost it, but how we can come back to that. And I just want people to hear right here as we dive in and I get you talking and not me, John. Uh, I know a lot of people are going to hear that and at face value say, it's just not reasonable. It's just not mm-hmm. reasonable, John. Tell me why it's reasonable. I would suggest almost to counter the, the, the question by saying, tell me why it's reasonable for us to be bored by life. You live near Pikes Peak. I've been there. I've climbed it. It's stunning. And I would imagine, and Kev, I could be wrong, but I would imagine there are days where you look out the window and you don't even see it. Sure. You're looking at the phone, you're looking at the headlines, you're looking at a dirty diaper, you're looking at the need to go to the grocery store, you're looking at the bills, and, and you're missing the grandeur of nature. You live in paradise, man. There are probably nights where the Milky Way will shine at you if you look up, but instead we're looking down. And so I, I would suggest rather than saying, t- tell me why it's reasonable for us to be optimistic. Tell us why it's reasonable for us to be joy filled. Tell us why it's reasonable for us to be ferociously optimistic and believe indeed that the best days are in front of us. Why would you not? Why, why would you not? Why, why would you not strive to have that kind of heart as you look at some of the opportunities and challenges? I believe that's just a different way of seeing, seeing the same thing in front of you. The challenges and opportunities that are in front of us right now on this day. There are in the book, I write about the five senses that children have naturally that we lose sight of. 
But it's important that we all recognize, I don't just quote like kids that are doing this. I'm not just talking about your three, 12, nine and six year old that are outside in the woods chasing deers and having a blast. I write a lot about the leaders who are much more seasoned, much supposedly more wise, much older, who are modeling this behavior what it does for them, how they are able to lead differently, how they have better organizations, how they have better health, better marriages, better faith lives, better journey going forward. And the invitation, they remind us all that you don't need to be a kid to be childlike. And I'm not saying childish, man. You got plenty of examples in politics and leadership right now where people are acting very childish. But to be childlike, to have that look in your eyes again, that life is good. That life indeed is good. Okay, uh, I, I want you to I want radically you to, change what we see and what we believe possible in our life and around our lives. I want you to hit on that because you, you said that I, I literally pulled that out of the book. You said after interviewing thousands of business owners, thought leaders and world changers, I've discovered that the senses responsible for making them successful and effective today are the same traits that flourished most beautifully within all of us as children. Okay, we're to pull that out, but we, but to 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 hit that at face value. And maybe it's because we're biased by the media that we've seen in the depictions of the Wall Street wolf or whatever. And we think of, you know, professional, disciplined, hardcore, uncompromising, you know, slave drivers, eccentric, whatever. And yet my thought was, as you said that, I thought, yeah, it seems like Richard Branson. Seems like that guy just plays, you know, and, and he's, he's a smart guy. I'm not going to say he's brilliant. I don't think he's any smarter necessarily than somebody else, but he feels like that. Like he was looking around and I don't know him. I haven't read up on him. So forgive me if I'm off base with him, but he seems to depict play and joy and awe and some wonder. And you're relating that. And John, I found that too, man, with the people lining these bookshelves back here, like you, there's this, that's, that's such a difference but i appreciate you said you didn't say childish you said child like but that's a that's a paradigm shifter to say that's what you see in successful leaders and influencers no doubt and oh gosh there's so much there to unpack richard branson's a great example i'm going to share one more who we write about in Please. the book a bit. his name is pat hinman pat lived in san diego i was speaking at a conference out there flew out to see pat uh, he was a business owner and he, in his network, he had 28 business owners that came to his meetings once a month and then he would coach them thereafter. So I'm flying out to meet this guy. I'd read about him, heard about him. When I land, one other thing you should know about Pat, it was his birthday that day. So he's, he's working on his birthday. Oh, what's the big deal about that, O'Leary? Pat was turning 98 on this oh, day. Wow. Wow. 98 years old. He's working harder harder than me, probably harder than you and me combined, Kev. He's, he's really working hard at age 98. He also had stage four cancer. So this is part of Pat's journey at age 98. After I gave a three hour seminar to his group of business owners, he was in the first row the entire time, taking notes the entire time, actively engaged up and down for the three hours. It's remarkable actually at 98 with cancer. At the end of this conference that I was part of, they brought out a cake to Pat. They sang him happy birthday. And then Pat went around and one by one, he identified the individuals in the room by name. And then he told that person, it was his birthday. It's his moment to be celebrated. That's not how he viewed it. He told each of the individuals in the room what he loved most about them and why he loved, why he loved working with them. He even included John O'Leary. He, he was grateful that I got on a 5.30 flight that morning, made it out to San Diego, left my three kids at the time. He knew all the details of John's life, thanking him. 
as if we were friends. We met for the first time that day, but he was celebrating life with us. When he left that evening after hours of work and play and eating cake and celebrating his life and the life of those who uh, he was leading forward, he grabbed his top coat, he grabbed his top hat, he started to slide out the back door and I kind of snuck up, snuck up on him and I said, Pat, where are you going, brother? And he said, oh, I, I gotta leave, I, I gotta get home. If I don't get home, my wife's gonna think I'm running around on her. <laughs> he, he had been married at that point for 71 years. Wow. And when they <laughs> get emotional saying this, on the day they got married, Pat made a commitment to his wife that he would ensure that he would see her to the finish line. He would never leave her. He would be there with her until the end. Pat Henman died five weeks after I met him, but it was 11 days after his wife passed away. This was a man who steadfastly served and grew and expanded and became a better version of himself every single day for 98 years of his life. It's a calling. And he was one of the most childlike, joy-filled guys I've ever met. He grew a big business in that. And I think he lived a great life because of that. So this isn't just a calling for you to take the day off at the office, you know, stop working. Uh, there's example after example after example of people who are joy-filled, childlike, and incredibly effective and successful in their lives. It's, it's, it's so outside of the norm. You know, you told the story, John, right at the beginning of your book, you led off with a great perspective that hit me because I do, I, I just talked about, it. I have younger kids. I have kids now in their mid twenties and seeing their progress. And they're the most amazing kids. They defy so many of the odds. They're not your normal teenagers and whatnot, but they still go through the cycles. And to see that here, are my little kids, uh, my 10 year old, incredibly mature kid for his age, insightful, socially aware. But that boy comes downstairs so often in his green full length dinosaur outfit, <laughs> just like you and I would, you know, our business outfit or, you know, workout clothes or whatever. And I, I, I absolutely adore it. And I've got, you know, teen boys who of course would not be caught dead in the dinosaur outfit. There is this aspect of self-awareness that we go through, but I've known that. And I think we all have, it's not me. I didn't discover it. It's been written about before, but we go through this childlike awe, this childlike confidence, this childlike jubilant for the most part. Obviously there's people out there with significant things that happened that took that away from them. And uh, it's devastating, but for the most part, that's what kids have. And then they reach this level of self-awareness. And that's when we leave that. And even from an authority standpoint, we're expected to, Hey, toe the line now conform now obey, do what you're supposed to do. Chill out, quit being a kid. And yeah. we grow out of that. That is the machine that we're in. And that is, I, I, if any, I want people to hear this and hear something different, maybe for the first time. And I love you putting money where your mouth is and saying, look, these are the successful people. Again, that's who's lying. I could take you through. Actually, I may do that, John, just if it's not only for my own contemplation to go through and say, what was childlike about each person I have had on my show? Of course, we're back to the Bible, of course, and Jesus and let them be like little children. Matthew. Uh, Right. Let them come to me. I, when I sign this book and someone says that they're a believer, I will usually sign it. And I think it's Matthew 1917. Y'all can correct me online right now. Yeah. But the, the invitation for children to come, come toward the creator and, and my faith view, uh, it wasn't really a call just for people under the age of 11. <laughs> it was this a mindset that is less cynical, less judgmental, 
far more open, far more exploratory, far more open to others, others. And during a time when we are armoring up and setting up your line, the my line, and we are marching toward November, I got to get my candidate elected because we got to crush the other side. No, no, we, we got to build far bigger and better bridges. That, that's that's the way we we ultimately get this thing done. And and I don't think adults are great at that, but I know kids are. Well, that being open to others, I mean, that's a statistic that Zig talked about. And I have repeated so often when he did his own or he referenced a survey that was done on, as you said, the world leaders, the influencers and how many of them had gone through some trauma in essence, which you did, John. Uh, You had the benefit, as you've talked about, of the trauma that you went through to help make you the person you are today. But even the benefit that it was to what do you have siblings wise? I'm one of six. One of six. Well, in essence, the benefit to them, too, of having you go through that and it forced the attention off of them and made them realize life is not just about them, which is what Zig testified to these people. Eighty percent of these world leaders who had poverty, handicaps, something in their lives, their lives or the life of a sibling that took the focus off of them and the benefit that that was obviously if they took it into uh, a positive way, but you saying that what made me think of it is open to others, aware of others and getting the focus. My wife calls it navel gazing. That's when she's at her worst. She says, uh, and she needs to go serve somebody. And that's what you're hitting on. You know, and we, you and I, and your wife and other leaders learn that from someone else. Mm-hmm. So I don't think any of us self evolved mm-hmm. to where we are, but for me, I learned that from my mom and dad and, and you call it privilege, you can call it blessing, you can call it divine luck, whatever you may want to call it. I call it mom and dad. I was really fortunate to have remarkable parents and we could spend a lot of time talking about them. But just a quick story regarding my dad. I was getting ready to go back to school after being burned. I had been home for 15 months and I left on a January day, athletic and sharp dressed and shirt tucked in and everything else. And now I'm coming back in a wheelchair. I've lost my fingers. I got scars from my neck to my toes and I'm a victim to it all. And I keep asking my dad the night before I go back to school. Now I'm going to be in fifth grade. Daddy, why me? Why me? And I just keep keep biting at the same piece of meat. It's not getting me anywhere, but, but I keep going after this thing. Why me? Why me? And my dad is one of the most humble, faithful conscientious guys I've ever met, but eventually he got up from this conversation. I'll never forget it. Uh, walks away from me, shuts the bedroom door. So now I'm in, I'm in trouble here. He shuts the bedroom door. He walks back over to me, kneels down in front of me, puts his hands in, on my legs as I sit there in my wheelchair. And he says, John, darn it. And he used more colorful language than this, but he said, John, darn it. You can be a victim to what you've been through for the rest of your days, and not a single person who meets you will feel less for you because of it. You've been through the worst. You survived it. And if you want, you can play a victim to it for the rest of your days. No one will judge you less for it. And then he paused, kind of gathered his thoughts, and then he said, or, or, John, you can be a victor over this. You can rise above, you can grow in compassion and faithfulness and and resiliency as you go forward. And every time you get rolled into a room or eventually, John, you walk into a room, people will look look up and they will look up with awe. They will look up with inspiration at the man you become. And then he said, Kevin, John, it's your choice. My old man got off his knees uh, stood up. He walked out of the room, shut the door behind him. And that was how he said goodnight to me that night. Wow. And th- this is a conversation 33 years ago. And man, I feel his hands in my legs today. We're telling you about this. 
if it were up to me, I'm telling you, I would absolutely be a victim to my circumstances. And I don't think anybody would judge me less for it because I've been through something pretty significant. Burns on 100% of your body, amputations, wheelchair, physical therapy, the works, man. Pain physically today, the works. But my dad challenged me that there are two paths laid in front of me and I get to choose. I get to choose. And I made a decision even as a little boy that uh, I didn't want to choose the path that I was currently rolling down. I wanted a different path. And so I'm, I'm grateful to have leaders around me. I was lucky to call them mom and dad. But they painted a very clear picture for me. You get to choose the path that you might navigate and walk. You, you can't always choose the one that you're currently on, but you get, you get to choose the manner in which you walk going forward. Man, and uh, I'm and, grateful. For and that's why your story is truly uh, awesome. That's the correct usage of the term right there. I, you know, I want to point out something, though, John, as a parent. How old are your kids? Age range? Now 14, 12, 10, and 8. 14, 12, 10, and 8. Um, I, you know, I, I work day in and day out with my, uh, with, you know, a best friend and business partner, Dr. Randy James, my co-host in the true life podcast. And we talk about kids a lot. We both have kids at similar ages and we often, you know, you want to impart X, Y, Z to your kids and you want to see it bring forth fruit, come to fruition. And of course it doesn't often that day or the next day or the next week. And I have kids old enough now in their 20s to, to realize the power of planting that seed. Yes. Not having the fruit right there, but we're planting the seeds and, and hoping that they'll come to fruition. Now, I say all that because I know your story from your On Fire book that at 10 years old that happened. And as you said, you can still feel your dad's hands on your legs that day. But you did not wake up the next morning on fire. Uh, and, and ready to tackle the world and overcome with no fear, no shame, no embarrassment, no whatever. That was a seed. So am I, I'm gonna, am I correct in saying that was a seed that was planted that to some degree didn't come to fruition in your, till your 20s, maybe? It's, you're beautifully stating this. So that's exactly right. That's a big deal for us to hear as parents. I, I want to encourage some folks in that, that that's something that germinated because you spent a good while um, not flourishing. Is that fair to say? And to be honest, I'm still not flourishing from day to day it's on my bad days these days, but we're trying to get better. And to your point, it was 15 years of a seed slowly germinating and, uh, slowly rising out of that soil. Yeah. Uh, I want to hit some of the key points, you know, your book, you go through the five, these five areas of, of child likeness that we have walked away. You know what? Let me just let the cat out of the bag. It's wonder, expectancy, immersion, belonging, and freedom. They're all powerful. I could have spent all my time just in the wonder chapter uh, as, that you lead off with because it is so, so stout. And I, I, want, I, want, I want to hit a couple pieces of that. I mean, you start off with the path, the path of possibility. John, you don't, you, I don't assume you know it, but we just, this is show 815. Show 810 and 812 I did with Tom Ziegler and we posted one of our Q&A things and I put out there a question, uh, something to the effect of, does anybody out there have big goals? Big goals that maybe you have a hard time believing in, uh, even, even admitting that you have, and even more so maybe stating those. And we had uh, so many responses. They were so powerful that we could turn it into two shows in there. And it was that what's what could be possible again. You have to help me out because I, I do sometimes with this as I'm talking about the culture. I don't want to be negative. I don't want to, to focus on that. But we're not in an age of 
possibility. I mean, when was the last time you sat down with your neighbor, your coworker, even your spouse, whoever, uh, and, and talked about, man, what could be possible for us? What could, what could God have for us? What could we be capable of? That's not the common thing. We sit down and talk about politics and sports and what's wrong with COVID and masks. And that's just human nature. I mean, we know that yeah. human nature is negative, but the path of possibility Honestly, every chapter you've got right under there under the wonder category is worth the price of admission, folks. There you go. Can I just shamelessly promote? The book is In Awe, okay, by John O'Leary to go get it. There's, yeah, you could take it. I'm probably going to take my kids through every chapter that you have, a subchapter under wonder. Um, that possibility, I want to stamp it on them. Guys, if you lose your perspective yes. on possibility, I'll have to come up with some consequence. I don't know. But don't. It's, it's, and you're dealing with it now with your kids. How can you implant that in them to keep it? Well, ironically, you know, the kids are the ones who taught me the lessons. Hmm. They're, they're, every single chapter begins with a story of a child and what they taught me about wonder and what they taught me about asking questions. I believe, Kevin, when we ask questions these days, frequently, we ask them from a place of knowing and judging and trying to corner the opponent, whether the opponent's a spouse, a child, uh, did, did you leave the cereal out? Like, we already know the answer, but we're asking the question to kind of quarter them and paint them into the corner. Kids ask questions out of raw, raw curiosity and openness. Th their famous question, their most common question, of course, we all know, say it with me, audience. Why? 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 But then they want to go deeper. What if? What if? Who says? Why not? All these questions that are just completely open-ended, because they want to understand why are things the way they are and is there ultimately a better way to get things done? And as we look around at our singleness or our marriages or our addiction or our businesses or our lack thereof businesses or our society, which is where many of us are focused right now, I think many of us are looking at it through a, a, a negative judgmental lens of what's broken. And that's popular. It's a flavor of the day. Yeah. What must happen, it must happen. It's not, oh, I hope it happens. No, it must happen for us to save the species, man, for us to build this thing back up to where ultimately it can go, not only here in the States, but around the world, is the raw curiosity of not only where things are and what went wrong, that's common, but ultimately what's possible going forward. And so it's asking some of the same questions, but through the lens, not of a victim, but as a victor. Well, I, I, and I, again, so I'm going to do a really good Ziegler effort here of not being uh, negative, but just putting the cards on the table and realizing we are not in a culture that fosters, as you said, raw curiosity. That, that could be a book title right there, raw curiosity and asking why we are most prone to, well, you know what? Let me put it in a positive light. We want to trust it's like being a kid, man. You want to trust your parents. You want to think that what they do is okay and right and true and in your best benefit. And we want to think that out here. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist that thinks that the corporate America and the government is out to do us wrong, but they're pretty much bent on, on money and progress. And a lot of times that is not in our best interest. So to come back to what you said, to if we would all do ourselves the great, the great honor of asking in everything that we're doing, you said them, and I got them listed right here. Why? Says who? What do you see? What if? Why not? Mm. Uh, it's that is is brilliant, and I love that you reference uh, like Winnie the Pooh and I think Dr. Seuss in there because it sounds like that those old things that we grew up with and taught to our kids, and yet we didn't walk it out. 
Correct. So it's it's an odd blend of beginning with the Dr. Seuss quotes or the Winnie the Pooh quotes or the Wizard of Oz quotes to remind you what it felt like to be a child because yeah. we all hopefully had those books read to us or many of us are reading them to our nieces, nephews, children these days. So I want you to feel that buzz when you step through these chapters and then a story of a child who influenced me. But then the, the book is heavily researched. And man, I, I would suggest to you all great teachers are modeling this right now. There's someone far smarter than you and me said 2,700 years ago, 2,700 years ago, there is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. There is no blue water out there for us to un tap into. And so I'm, I'm paraphrasing and bringing back to the surface stuff that we knew to be true and we'd lost sight of at some points along the way. And that's yeah. just the first sense of wonder, which is ultimately about first time living. That, that the ability that Zig said when he was talking about the plane and the little girl seated to his side who stood up, looked toward the cockpit and said, wow, wow. I mean, when was the last time you watched the sun rise and said, dang, yeah, like that was darkness got chased away by the light. That was good. And then 12 hours or so later, you look toward the West and you watch as the light went from kind of a blue sky to a light blue sky to purple and oranges. And you're like, dang, that is so good. That is so good. So it's just a different way of looking at nature, of looking at the work we do, at the opportunities we have in front of us, at the, the children who sometimes drive us crazy or the singleness that sometimes drives us crazy and seeing not what's broken and wrong, but what's good and right. And in that foundation, we can then leap forward and make it even better. All right. I got, I got to, I'm going to share real quick because I think you'll appreciate this, John. It was uh, just a couple of days ago out in the deck with my kids talking about this uh, in essence, I'm going to bring it up to him again tonight at dinner. We're going to talk about you and your book and this message, but talked about that reality of, uh, I said, man, just think back to, you know, my great, my grandparents, uh, to where we are now today, we have everything we want media wise, entertainment wise. I mean, we've got, I think we have access, we don't have regular TV, but you know, you got, what is it? Hulu and Netflix and Amazon and all of it. Disney and I mean, anything you want. We've got huge, we can have, you know, huge screens, uh, that size. Well, you and I remember back when there was cable TV, man, that was the hottest thing going, right? It wasn't on demand, but I mean, we went from, you know, three to what? 40 channels, I mean, whatever it was. That was when I was 17, I was introduced to cable, man. So before that I had three. Yeah. Three to choose from three channels and, and we had three and pbs that turned off and turned to fuzz <laughs> at what like 10 or 11 you remember that static yes. i mean our kids couldn't conceive of this but before that i mean my dad remembers when they had a radio i actually have it john i have the initial radio that he had uh it's this big stand-up thing with a uh, um what's that called uh the radio that like goes the long far away place radio yeah, like a shortwave, yeah, kind of deal. That was it. And then you remember the, the pictures we'd see of them gathering around the radio. And before that, it was books. All that was books. Before that, it was nothing. And it was dad telling a story around the fire. And what I was thinking of and we were talking about is the kids who came out and say, after dinner said, Dad, tell a story. Or Mom, tell a story. The joy they got was probably more than what we have today with access to everything. And it comes back to where you started off with, with boredom and, uh, and well, it's the second part of your book expectancy. Our expectations are, well, I don't know. I mean, in some ways they're so, I mean, there's, they're, they're, they're beyond in regards to that. But then as far as for ourselves, it feels like we've just lowered our expectations. We are happier with less. And so we'll 
voyeuristically, yeah, watch a screen instead of going outside and seeing what's really happening. God's creation. I mean, it's a, it's a really bad spectrum, isn't it? So as we kind of lap from one to the next, one of our clients is a company called Microsoft. You may, may have heard of them. You might and, have heard of them, yeah. And I, I, one of their executives was sharing with me that, John, we used to think we were the smartest people in the room. In fact, we knew we were. And then we lost some market share. Then we uh, almost lost everything that we worked so hard to build. Now we recognize with great humility that we aren't the smartest people in the, in the room necessarily, but we come with the best questions. Hmm. And I figure, and I bring that up only because I would imagine some are listening to this thinking, gosh, this sounds great to be on the deck with kids, but I've got a business to operate. I've got a marriage that is duct taped together right now. I've got health concerns. We've got a society that is at war with its, itself right now. Like all these problems, this isn't going to help that out. Except that I believe in my heart of heart and the research backs us up on this, that it is, it is the way forward to come into this room with the questions, not the answers. We may not have the answers. And in fact, fact, the letters behind your name may be keeping you from getting the answers that you ultimately need. So just be aware of that. And then it's gonna lead us into the next step of expectancy. We know this through research that there's something called the placebo effect. What you think will happen, medically speaking, frequently does. Now, the weird thing was with pharmaceutical companies, they don't like this. Because they actually want to know, like, oh, man, the sugar pill is almost as effective as this oncology drug. Doggone it. But what they're missing is, gosh, the power of the mind is driving people toward health. Why aren't we studying this? It's called the placebo effect. What you think will happen frequently does. That's crazy talk, except it's true. In study after study after study, the placebo effect plays out to be true. It's also true on the negative side. It's called the nocebo effect when it's negative. If you think something's going to hurt, even if they don't pinch you, it actually hurts. Oh, that hurt. They didn't even touch you. It's called the nocebo effect. It's negatively going to influence what happens next. So what does this do? Well, 94% of the, the articles, according to Harvard Business Review in 2018, 94% of, of, of news stories were negative. That's in 2018, when the market was at historic highs, when unemployment was at historic lows. Can you imagine what it's going to look like in 2020? If 94% was negative then, oh, my Lord, uh, we're in big trouble. What yeah. is that like? Well, according to Cigna, which ran a study that same year, 56% of us felt as if we were doing life completely by ourselves. When they ran that same study the following year, it jumped to 61% of us felt as if we were doing life completely by ourselves. It was highest, by the way, in millennials. It was the lowest, by the way, in our senior citizens. So there's something kind of inverted. It, it's not what you would expect at all around this. What has that led to? These, these big overall examples. Last year, and this one has hit our family and many of my dear friends personally, so it's real to me, 1.5 million Americans attempted suicide in 2019. So this is, this is a pandemic. We're focused on COVID-19, rightfully so right now, but be aware that it's not the only pandemic sweeping the nation and the nations. There are a lot of pandemics sweeping through our society. Uh, so if you wanna look cynically at how bad everything is, have at it. That's where the majority of people's eyes are trained right now, but it is having a negative effect on those who are doing life in this environment. Ask yourself, why is it that people at Google, people at Microsoft, people at Facebook don't let their kids have cell phones? Why is this? Why are those who are trying to give technology to you and me not allowing their most cherished possession, their loved ones, have access to these gifts? Why? Because they ultimately know the path that it's going to take them down. They don't want them tethered to numbing material, 
to the dopamine hit. They want them to have the audacity like your children do, Kevin, to go outside and see the splendor that is life. It is there for the taking if you want to have it. You know, I've heard a couple people say that, uh, John, uh, in regards to the Silicon Valley, you know, execs and whatever that don't that are taking their kids away from the very thing that they're involved in. Um, we can take this offline. I'd love to have somebody like that on the show. I'd love to hear that firsthand from somebody because I, I keep I've, I've heard it probably your third, fourth, fourth person to talk about that. So if you have any I thoughts have on that, do you? Ask you after. OK. All right. I, I want to hear that. You know, you I want everybody to hear that again. Uh, I'm going to text this. I have a family text with all the kids and my wife and stuff. And I'm going to as soon as this shows over, because I just wrote it in quotes, what you think will happen frequently does. And when you talk about those devices, I was talking about it today with a group of guys that we all have the smartphone, we have the computers, we have the apps, we have those things. Again, I don't think people are out to harm us, but they are businesses that want to make money. The way they make money is getting our attention. So those devices, every screen that we see, the sole purpose of it, even if they're trying to benefit you with, I'm trying to benefit folks with this podcast, just like you are, John, but the only way I can do that is to get their attention. So I'm part of that issue of I'm coming from a screen or an email or whatever, and I am trying to get people's attention. That is what people are doing. And for us to come back to to year and to go, gosh, is this best? Why? Why am I doing this? And to realize that that is its goal. And we've known this since media began. If it bleeds, it leads. That is, there's nothing that will get more attention. So we have an industry bent on getting our attention. And what gets our attention most is what bleeds. And man, you look at it. I do. I take a quick glance at the headlines every day to see if there's something that might be new or relevant. And the negativity of it is I've never encountered it. And you know what here, John, somebody pointed this out to me today. They said, Kevin, for the first time, because for the most part, I would say, I just ignore that stuff. But now here we are, August 2020, and you can't really ignore it because now it really is impacting our lives. One of those, you know, three things, politics, COVID, racial tensions, uh, you know, and what else? We're waiting for the next thing to drop. The recession. Yeah. I mean, we, we got a whole lot of headwind that every one of us is dealing with right now. And I've never found that in only looking at the bad things that we find solutions to it. Fred Rogers, who is one of my heroes, used to be easily scared. And there's a quote of, of Fred Rogers. He says, when I used to be a little boy, my mother would say, Fred, if you get scared, don't look at the bad things that are happening. Look at the people who are responding to it. Huh. And I don't mean the press. Don't look for the cameras. Don't look for the microphone. Don't look for the social media blowhards. Don't look there. Look for the EMTs. Look for the firefighters. Look for the, the folks on the front lines. Look for the people who are striving to make the world a better place through their example. And I think you'll be a lot less scared by what's taking place in the marketplace. There are some profound difficulties we face. But as my friend Greg Easterbrook wrote, it's not as bad as it looks. It's not as bad as it looks. Everybody has us looking at, gosh, it's terrible. Except all research says it's actually getting better. So look at the numbers. Don't just look at what they're telling you to stare at. All right, I got a question for you on expectancy, though I did want to, you were talking earlier just about the, you know, the childlikeness and uh, it wasn't long ago. I had one of my kids who says, man, I don't remember that movie, dad. Uh, we watched Hook. You remember that with Robin Williams? Uh, such a sweet depiction of somebody. They exaggerate it both ways, of course. You know, he goes from the, the hardcore businessman to Peter Pan. I mean, so it's an exaggerated, but it's, uh, to me, it's a beautiful story and a beautiful depiction. I'll reference that tonight as I'm talking about your book and the message with my family, uh, John. But looking at expectancy, where, give me your thoughts on 
because I believe in great expectations. You know, I, I expect, I expect that, but invariably we've all experienced, I'm sure having a big expectation that didn't happen and, yeah. and it can be disappointing. It can sometimes be devastating and it can be a, an insp- or an incentive to not have big expectations. So as you are on stage, on camera, on microphone, leading people in this, what would you give us? Because I get that. I, I would say that I know that I know that tension. I, I haven't always known how to answer that. I, I don't know. And it differs, I'm sure, between personality and experience and whatnot. But I understand the grappling with wanting to have big expectations, but dealing with disappointment. What a dance. What a dance that we all wrestle with uh, this side of eternity. It's human brokenness. So we, we will live in some regards with some disappointment. There's just no getting around that then how do you bounce forward from that? How do you become better through that? And what do you do in the midst of that? that that's ultimately what expectancy is all about. It's not gonna make the coffee taste sweeter necessarily. It's gonna make you grateful for the coffee in the first place. And you know, one story that I unpack in the book, and it's just one example of many, but my marriage is one of the most important things in my entire life. I mean, faith, family, and then onward from there. But I'd found myself back in 2016 chasing work hard and work became wildly successful. But at what cost? At what cost? And so um, as I'm beginning to plan out 2017, I made a commitment that I wanted this year to be the year where my marriage was the focal point. Hmm. How do you do that? Okay, so this is what I did. I bought a leather bound journal. And on January 1, 2017, I wrote down the words, Dear Beth. And then all day long, I waited for it. I waited for her to do one beautiful thing one act of goodness for the kids, one sweet thing for a neighbor, one beautiful thing she, she put, put on and wore downstairs, one meal she made for a friend, whatever it was. I'm looking for one thing. And when I saw it, boom, that, that's what's going on in the book. So January 1, Dear Beth, thank you for. And then I told her what I loved her for that day. And I just wanted to thank her. I wanted to call it out, but I didn't tell her I was doing this. And then on January 2nd, I woke up early, wrote down the words, Dear Beth. And then I waited for it, waited for it. And then on January 3rd, waited for it, waited for it, saw it, identified it, wrote it down. This goes on for 360 days through the ebbs and flows, the gains and the losses of a couple as they do life together, raising four kids, running a business, managing some profound difficulties in 2017 that we won't go through on this podcast, but some real difficulties in our family and our community, but doing so together. And I was focused on how she was doing it beautifully in front of me because what you focus on grows. And on Christmas day, 2017, I handed her this poorly wrapped gift. She opens it up. There's a coffee stained leather bound journal with airline tickets, movie tickets, dinner receipts, and 360 love letters from her husband to her thanking her for being this remarkable human being. There's some incredible things that came out of that. One is it's the best gift I've ever given her. It's one that I occasionally see her read it even today, three and a half years later. She still loves this gift. It's something we still laugh about. It helped us track life together that year. But even more than that, even if I'd never been able to hand, hand her that, if I'd left it at a conference on December 24th, forgot to give it to her, December, that year, 2017, was the best year of our marriage to date. Wow. We've gotten better in 2018, 2019, and 2020. But to that date, that was the best year for our marriage because I was doing my part. That's expectancy. It's not waiting yes. for the breeze to make you the latte better. It's not waiting for, waiting for Trump to do his job or waiting for Biden to step in. Come on, man, show Trump how he should have been doing it. No, that's not expectancy. 
expectancy is doing your part, man. You show up and you do your part. You have a vision for where you're going. And then you put your oar deep in the water and you start rowing your part of the journey. You can only control your part. That's expectancy. And so in my marriage, I recognize it's not 50-50. I got to do 100% of the work on my part of, the, of, of this little garden. And in doing so, what I found is my wife was doing so much more for me than she had ever done in the years leading up to it. That's not why I was doing it, but in serving her well and complimenting her frequently and seeing her beauty and having it reflected in the way I saw her, believe it or not, she started doing the exact same with me. So uh, th that's expectancy, right? It's, it, you you got to do your part. You don't wait for others to do it. You show up. John, what I love most on that, and first off, I, I got to tell you, um, I've heard a couple other guys who have done a similar thing. And I, I, it's high time I did that for my wife. I did do a frame one time. I took her name, which is Teresa, T-E-R-I-S-S-A, -S -S and took it down and off each one of those did kind of a, a, a something I appreciate, which is framed and on the wall by her bed. Um, awesome. But you just inspired me because John O'Leary does inspire. Uh, <laughs> to do that for my wife. Cause what I love most about that, you said you write dear Beth and then you wait for it. I want that life of waiting for the next good thing. Somebody does the next good thing that's going to happen. Because again, we're not in a culture doing that. I had a story not long ago from somebody, I can't remember what it was where he met this guy. And the guy ultimately was like a professional at smear campaigns. That's what he was hired to do. So he was out there looking for the dirt to dig up. And the guy who talked about this, I can't believe I can't remember it, but he said, man, it just, the guy looked like death. I mean, what does that do to you? Yes. I want to be tangibly, intentionally what you just talked about, John, the guy there with my journal or my post-it note or my notes on my iPhone saying, okay, dear Beth or, you know, dear God, or, you know, dear, dear my job. And now I'm going to wait for it. What's awesome. I mean, I want to be for that. Can we write That's a book awesome. together? We'll call it wait for it. Uh, I love it, man. I do. I thank you. I love it too. And thank you for just giving it to me. I want that. I, I want to do that for my marriage. I want to write down dear Terry and wait for it because if I wait for it, the good will happen. And if I don't, I am more likely to look for the junk and I don't want to be a smear campaign professional. Oh, my, my challenge, cause Kevin, I love you, man. You're my brother and, and uh, we've played and worked and, and did several podcasts together. And I consider you a friend, my challenge to you and anyone else who's, who I have not yet rocked to sleep. Why wait? So my, my challenge to Kevin is before you go to bed tonight, whether it's on a cocktail napkin or in an old journal that says 2014 on it, or you happen to have a leather bond one that you haven't even tapped into yet, begin by writing down today's date. And I want to make sure this is a bit of an evergreen podcast, but write down today's date and then write down to your wife and then tell her what you love her for today. And then tomorrow morning, as you're brushing your teeth, write down the following date, dear, fill in the blank, and then wait for it. And if you want it to be about work, fine. I know a lot of people tune in just because they want to grow professionally. That's awesome. Dear work. I was so fired up to be part of this today. That's awesome. In our book, we call it the hang it on the fridge mentality. This idea that you do something so beautiful. Your kids do this every single day when they're in first grade. Yeah. They come home with their art project. You don't even know what it is, but they are so proud of it. They're like, daddy, mommy, guardian, can we put it on the fridge? And you're like, of course. You're moving all the other madness around so you can hang up this next yeah. artwork. Yeah. That's how excited they are about their work. When was the last time any of us as professionals were that excited about an Excel sheet? 
or a sales proposal or a podcast that we delivered into. Man, you want to do work that is so exceptional that you keep a journal entry saying, dear work, today I hung this on the fridge. So I, I say have a marriage, have a singleness, have a health life, have a faith life, have work that is so exceptional. You're hanging all of it on the fridge. All right, there it is. This is what I do with things that are important. I write it on a post-it note. I stick it in my pocket because I hate things in my pocket. So I don't miss it because I go home and there's something in there and I'm going to pull it out, get a journal. Um, I need to do it. John, I, we're, I know you've got a, an upcoming engagement here and you know, folks, obviously I, I want to give you as much meat as we can, but we can't get through all of it. You've got a book to go read here called in awe real quick with the moments that we have here. Uh, your next points, just give us the synopsis of immersion, belonging, and freedom. Gosh. So first in the structure of a book, you always wonder like, how do I begin it? How do I end it? Yeah. Uh, we, I believe we saved the best for last. All, all three of those, this topics you're bringing up are like, man, those are so good. I, yeah. In particular immersion. So the idea of immersion is to be fully engrossed in the thing that you were doing at that time. Yeah. And we borrow this from two lenses. One, with kids. Kids are engaged when they're at school, actually. When they're looking, when they're in history class, they're in history class. And then the bell rings and it's time for recess. And then they go outside and they are all in playtime, baby. And then they come back in and now it's time for math. And now they're going to learn about math. They're not waiting for their pockets to vibrate so they can see who's texting them right now or what someone else tweeted right now or what, what happened in the media right now wrong they're focused on what the, the thing is they are doing and building and living into right then focus and then the bell rings and it's time for lunch and then after lunch they go out and play then when they come back it's time for rest so the idea was when you are doing something be fully immersed fully engaged in the, that activity and let it always not be work let it sometimes be play i don't think we play enough yeah. let it sometimes be sabbath this idea of rest. I think we do rest really, really, really poor as a nation and as nations right now. And when you're in front of someone else, don't have your phone on, take a digital detox. Anytime you're at home, turn the phone off. You will be so much more lit up for the individuals in front of you. You will have healthier relationships. You'll be healthier phys physically. So be where you are. That's one piece of it. The other piece is immersion. Understand what it is that matters to you. I, I worked as a chaplain for three years and had an experience with a patient who said, John, I climbed to the very tippity top of the ladder only to get to the final rung and realize that I had my ladder leaned against the wrong darn wall. Yeah. And I think there would be nothing more catastrophic than to become wildly successful at life at the very things that ultimately don't matter at the end of the days. So immersion is not only about being engaged in the moment, but making sure that what you're engaged in matters. Yeah. So that's immersion. The next one is belonging. When you hear me share the stat, 56% of us, the year I wrote the book, 2018, felt as if they had no one to lean into. And that number went up by 5% the following year. And now with COVID-19, many of us are completely isolated and becoming more isolated by the day. We need that sense of belonging. Kids easily connect with those around them. They may immediately wonder with me, it's, it's happened to me countless times. They say to me, hey, mister, what's wrong with your fingers? Well, why do you have puppy dog paws as hands? I ask all these weird questions. But as soon as I say, oh, when I was nine years old, a couple of years older than you, I got burned as a little boy and I'm doing better now. They kind of look at me, they look at my hands, they look at back at me and they say, oh, I'm glad you're all better. Let's go, let's go. 
man, we spend a lot of time eyeing people out of the corner of our eyes. We don't want to really look at them because that, that, of course, is rude. We don't want to really know them because that, of course, is risky. We don't want to be curious. We kind of want to identify them as having different color skin or different worship practices or whatever the thing is, different hands. And we never bring it up because it's rude. Kids cut right through the crud. It, it is, by the way, crud. They cut right through the cut, crud. They build a bridge. They connect with the one in front of them. And then they do life together. How is that possible? Because first they belong to themselves. The ego has not stepped in. So we, we got to do some self-work around the way we spend a lot of time as one of your leaders reminded you, navel gazing. Just looking down. How's my waistline looking? How's my body looking? Do I have more gray hair today? Am I okay in that community? Do I have enough followers? Do I have enough money in the bank? All this judgment that is this idea of making someone else love us more for the stuff that doesn't actually matter at all. Hmm. So we got to work through both sides of, of that lens, both loving ourselves and then loving the one in front of us. And ultimately, the summation of all of this, the alpha and the mega, as I see it, freedom, the ability to step unencumbered, unchained into the day at hand. And so freedom is a heavy sense that we spend a lot of time on. I think it's the most important thing we cover in the book. I share a bunch of my own weaknesses around freedom. Many of the things that I've made mistakes on that have kept me from being free. And then uh, some of the lessons that I've learned along the way that have allowed me and also our readers to become far more free in their lives. Yeah. Well, I don't know if there's anything we all want more freedom and peace and I see less of it, but, uh, uh, we have the opportunity to change our direction, change our course, man, the book, honestly, John, it, it, it inspires me. It just, it's one of those that when I read the message, it just, it was almost like a reassurance, a comfort of, yeah, that makes sense. I, I just, I've fallen away from that and I can jump back into it. I really can. And so I'm going to go through and prayerfully be saying, God, what would you have uh, for me, even the statement you made uh, earlier that we don't play enough. It's been a difficult thing for me for a long time. I'm better at it, but I'll still go through cycles because I get into the production mode. And it seems like the more I produce, sometimes when something's good happening, the book deal's happening. And man, I just want to produce the next, produce, produce. And, and I forget play and I forget rest. You said rest as well. Um, so it's just the book is... I think it will be confirmed. I think, well, freedom. You ended with freedom. I think that, folks, as, you, as you're hearing this, you will find freedom because there's nothing in there. There's nothing in here. This isn't a book on fasting. You want to be healthy? Don't eat. Who wants to hear that message? <laughs> we'll find that from O'Leary. Okay. O'Leary <laughs> fasts from time to time to punish himself, but primarily, man, I love a good meal and I love a good donut. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Uh, this book is not that. This book is kind of giving you permission, freedom to go and to have those feelings, have that awe that who does not want it. So man, I just, I'm grateful that you've taken the time. I appreciate you uh, so much. And I, this message could not be needed more right now. So uh, thank you for doing what you've done to bring it to fruition. I know it's not easy. Let, and so let me just put a bow on, on our conversation around how this ties back into business and leadership and selflessness Please. and sacrifice and ultimately abundance, abundance. So every single night at the dinner table these days, we're having a conversation with our kids about one, the challenges we face professionally and financially. These are realities that our firm deals with right now. And I would imagine many of your listeners are dealing with. And then we have them make a list of what they're grateful for because of this day. So they're going through the same process you and I are talking about. And then the final thing they do before we step into this meal is they identify one place where they saw kindness in this day or they were kindness for others. 
So these are some cool conversations we're having as a family. And in the midst of COVID-19 and racial injustice and recessionary winds blowing and the political election coming toward us and everything else, we had a book that rolled out into the, this chaos, man, this chaos. And one of the cool things is all the authors out there know is the first couple of weeks of your book, man, th those are the big deals. Th that's when you sell by far the most copies. That's when the revenue stream, boom, finally it hits. And my little boy, Patrick, as we're having a conversation, was asking the question, well, what can we do in the community? Not just to put a sign in our yard or put something on, on social media. How do you, how do you go? <laughs> how do you make a difference? And so as, as a family, we, we've been active with Big Brothers Big Sisters for almost 20 years. I'm a board member for Big Brothers Big Sisters. And his idea was, what if we gave the profit, the proceeds from the book in awe to Big Brothers Big Sisters? What if we just went all in with this? What if we were radically generous? And we talked about it as a family. We prayed about it as a couple, and, and then we moved forward on it. So we gave the first two weeks of the sales from In Awe all into Big Brothers Big Sisters, which is an incredible organization that busts down every wall that's ever been, ever been built. It connects people who would have never met otherwise to meet and become family with one another. It's a beautiful organization. And we wrote them a check for $30,000. As cool as that is, the kids are watching this happen. It's freed Big Brothers Big Sisters to do some other work in the community. And then some of our corporate sponsors see what we're doing and they're like, well, we want it, we want it. So there's been three other partners who've come alongside of us to do likewise. And so it, the, the idea of abundance, of, of giving, I don't think we become poor by being generous. So I, I would encourage us, regardless of what season we're in and how, how the winds of challenge seem to be blowing at us, don't lose sight of what it is you're building toward, what it is that actually matters in your life, and uh, to be generous, maybe in particular during the season. So in any way that you can be generous with your words, with your heart, with your dollars, ultimately that's the, the invitation of freedom. <laughs> Free indeed, man. So be generous even right now. There you go, folks. John O'Leary, brother, thank you. Friends, John O'Leary is just a classic uh, and kind of person you want to surround yourself with, uh, which you can. You can find, again, John's new book, In Awe, Rediscover Your Childlike Wonder to Unleash Inspiration, Meaning, and Joy, wherever you buy books. And of course, visit John's website at johnolearyinspires.com for all he has to offer you. Coming up in episode 816, Implant Life-Changing Truth through music. I mean, don't you wish you could remember important quotes and inspiration and scriptures and just truths of all time, as well as you remember songs on the radio from decades ago? I mean, in moments of importance, when I'd like to pull up wisdom from the ages, I'm often at a loss, but he asked me to recite the lyrics and melodies from the top songs, the top 40 in the 1980s, and I'm just remarkable. I mean, music sticks in our minds and it goes in through an open door to our emotions, to our memories. So I've got a special show for you. Tom Ziegler brings us Roy Smooth, S-M-O-O-T-H-E. Roy is a branding expert from the UK who is putting inspirational messages to music. Jim Rohn, the famous Jim Rohn said, Roy created the most powerful communication tool of the 21st century. His service is outstanding. His creativity is tremendous. Uh, Roy Smooth's mixes, that's what they're called. They have now tallied up over 30 million streams in a pretty short time. In this show, we announced the release of the Zig Ziglar Smooth Mix which hits Amazon on September 4th, 2020. And why do you care? Well, if you know Zig Ziglar, you know that his paramount quote, you are what you are, 
and where you are because of what has gone into your mind. You can change what you are and where you are by changing what goes into your mind. Well, this is a chance to put Zig's life-changing content into your mind and make it stick and take root like never before. Roy has literally put the best of Zig to catchy, motivating music. You're going to get a sample in this next episode. Till then, folks, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. <music>